Okay, hello and welcome to the Middle East Forums is webinar series Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box uh, located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, as always, a lot to get through uh, tonight. Um, as we speak, uh, the cabinet is meeting on how basically how to react to the latest figures in coronavirus the last few weeks. Uh, those of us, uh, those who have, who have been with us every week have, se have heard that the numbers in Israel are just getting steadily higher and higher. I think we reached almost 7,000 uh, in a single day yesterday. Um, and that's, you know, we were talking uh, a week or so ago how 5,000 was, was a massive amount. And, you know, even a few weeks back, even 3,000, 4,000 was a massive amount. So to get to 7,000, granted testing is up. I think there was even uh, as much as 60 or 70,000 tests throughout the day. So testing is definitely up, but there's around 11% uh, positivity uh, uh, percentage coming back. And so that's, that's risen as well. And that's obviously the important thing to look at. Interestingly enough, I just uh, read a a figure that said in the ultra-Orthodox community it's 25%, which is more than double uh, the national average. And every fourth person who goes to get tested in the ultra-Orthodox community comes back positive. So obviously very worrying numbers there. Uh, but basically the discussion in Israel over the last week or so has been, what do we do? What is the answer? Uh, we're currently in a lockdown uh, which has so many exceptions. You're allowed to work. Pretty much anyone's allowed to go to work. You're obviously allowed to go to for food shopping. You're allowed to go for home improvements. You're allowed to go to demonstrate. You're allowed to go to uh, synagogue. You're allowed to do all these sort of things. And there was a feeling that a lot of people were taking advantage of these exceptions because obviously the police can't tell who is telling the truth and who's lying. Um, and the numbers kept steadily rising, even though usually when there's a certain restriction, you don't see the results of it for at least two weeks, if not more. Uh, but basically, there was a feeling that it wasn't being taken seriously. The numbers rose steadily, but there were two major uh, sort of exceptions that uh, either side of the political spectrum wanted to or didn't want to deal with. On the right, a very thorny issue uh, was uh, attendance in synagogues. We are in the middle of the High Holy Days. We just had Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, uh, next uh, Sunday night. And Monday, we'll have Yom Kippur, which some... Uh, claim is the holiest day in the Jewish calendar and only five days after that on, on uh, Friday night and Saturday we have the start of Sukkot which goes on for a week uh, so basically we're in, a, we're in the holiest time of the year for Jews and the question is should uh, synagogues be open to what extent uh, during Rosh Hashanah there were some very complicated rules which we spoke about last week and basically there's a feeling uh, from many that synagogues should just be closed uh, and people should pray outside and it seems like, uh, obviously, that was a very thorny issue. Shas leader Arya Deri apparently walked out of the cabinet earlier on in the day uh, because they were going to close them, close down synagogues completely for Yom Kippur. And there's been a big debate about that. Uh, some religious politicians have said they should absolutely stop, close the 
close their, uh, uh, the synagogues, close the yeshivot, the learning seminaries, and basically everyone should pray and learn outside from this, uh, from this point on. Uh, but it's a thorny issue that, if, for example, we have two chief rabbis in Israel, Sephardi and Ashkenazi. There's a split. The Ashkenazi chief rabbi has said, yes, we should close the synagogues. The Sephardi chief rabbi has said, no, but we should limit it. Uh, and as we've spoken about before, Netanyahu's last real remaining loyal uh, partner in the coalition are the ultra-Orthodox parties. So For them, it's an important health ministry director met uh, tonight with uh, Rabbi Kamenetsky, who is the leader of uh, a big part of the ultra-Orthodox public. So to convince him would be uh, a major uh, you know, uh, positive for the government to be able to then uh, move into a lockdown, which would include uh, closing synagogues. On the left, the big issue is whether they should allow demonstrations. As uh, people know, there's been uh, strong and significant demonstrations, especially outside the Prime Minister's uh, residence in Jerusalem, but also in Tel Aviv and other places throughout the country, uh, ongoing for some months now. Uh, they've had quite a consistent presence, thousands, even getting to tens of thousands at one point. Uh, and basically the left uh, believe that this is, you know, the right to demonstrate is one of the pillars of democracy. And even when the situation is uh, challenging as it is now, that, that should still remain. Uh, interestingly enough, there was a poll done, uh, undertaken and released, well, it, was, it wasn't undertaken today, but it was released today, which showed that a majority of the Israeli public uh, believe synagogues should close and demonstrations should be uh, curtailed, uh, at least for now. Uh, I think about 70% said demonstrations should be stopped uh, during the lockdown and 60% said synagogues. So there is a massive plurality for both measures, and it seems like uh, both Netanyahu, uh, who represents the right, and Benny Gantz, who's the alternate prime minister, who represents the centre-left, have now come to the conclusion there needs to be a complete lockdown. They're talking about a stronger lockdown than there was even in April and May. Uh, we don't know exactly what that means, but it seems that they've come to a consensus that not only will synagogues be closed, uh, the right to demonstrate will be uh, stopped, at least very severely curtailed. Uh, for the next few weeks, uh, people will not be able to go to work as normal and will be restricted to our homes or within a kilometer of our homes, maybe even less, uh, for the next few weeks. As one can imagine, uh, this has, as we've seen in recent weeks, this has harmed uh, Netanyahu's popularity rating. Uh, it's coincidental, but quite good for this uh, webinar that they release polls every Wednesday night here in Israel, and Netanyahu is uh, gone down again in the polls. He's down, his party's down now, now down to 29 seats. And uh, uh, Naftali Bennett's Yamina party is at 21 or 22. Um, there's, still, there's still a gap, but uh, a turnover of four or five seats uh, from uh, Likud to Yamina uh, could change that map considerably. Interestingly enough, they asked uh, an extra question this week, which really could change the map, which everyone is now talking about is there's uh, an Likud member of Knesset who's the head of what was called the Coronavirus Committee. And uh, I, I, since the beginning, she's been a bit of a thorn in the government side whenever the government has wanted to uh, uh, place restrictions, uh, sometimes that people said were too confusing, where the gyms can be open, but this, this can be closed, or restaurants can be open, but not takeaway, but this and that. And she, uh, 
seen by many, much of the Israeli public to be a rational voice that basically, whenever she holds her committee in the Knesset, she asks the experts, the representatives of the relevant ministries to come in and say, show me the data. Until you show me the data, I can't make a decision. At the beginning, she was given uh, a lot of authority uh, where basically she would oversee the government decisions and decide whether they were allowed or not, because obviously in our parliamentary system, the legislature has oversight on the government and has the, uh, has the bottom line decision. Uh, when, it was when it was seen that she was uh, preventing a lot of the government decisions, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and his people basically uh, clipped her wings and took away her authority and gave it to other committees, which they had more control over. But she remained head of this committee and made a lot of noise because she was seen as someone who was just being, you know, who was just saying, let me see the figures before we make any rational decisions, et cetera, et cetera. So now uh, the pollsters who took her polls uh, basically asked a party led by her, how many seats would it get? And it showed eight seats. And at least three of them would come from the Likud. Now that does change the map somewhat. Uh, because it's a bit of a wild card. There are some conspiracy theorists who believe that this whole difference of opinion between uh, Netanyahu openly disparaged her and claimed that she's responsible for the loss of lives openly on his social media this week. There are those who believe that this is all a show and uh, they've, they've created this whole show to pick up uh, disappointedly could voters, people are disappointed in Netanyahu, but still believe in that general political direction. And as soon as elections would be over next time, she would then hand her seats back to the Likud, allowing them to retain uh, their previous strength. That's a bit of a conspiracy theory. It's possible. Uh, you know, we talk about uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu being the magician in Israel, and certainly I've, I've spoken many times as, a, as a, a campaign strategist, as a communications person, that there really is no one better to learn from than Prime Minister Netanyahu, he really, he's, he's a step ahead of everybody else. Everyone else is playing checkers and he's playing chess. So it wouldn't surprise me if they were doing something like that. Um, other events this week, Israel sent over a, a delegation to Bahrain to try and uh, sort of uh, work out the final normalization agreement because as we saw with the uh, ceremony in the White House, uh, we signed a normalization agreement with the UAE, but it was just the intention to normalize agreement with Bahrain, so that needs to be worked out. The head of Bahrain and Prime Minister Netanyahu had a good chat uh, this week. Um, and it seems also the F-35 issue with the UAE came up again, uh, with the Americans pretty much uh, confirmed that they will uh, go into that process of very possibly, very probably uh, selling the UAE the important F-35s. This obviously became such an issue that Defense Minister and alternate Prime Minister Benny Gantz is currently in the US after meeting with his counterparts uh, to ensure what Israel calls or what is called uh, maintaining Israel's qualitative military edge. As we know, Israel quantitatively doesn't have the numbers uh, of its enemies, at least its previous enemies uh, during the wars of its establishment, 67, 73, et cetera. We could never count on having anything close to the numbers of our, our enemies and opponents uh, in the region. So the idea was that Americans would ensure that Israel always had the qualitative uh, military edge, not just by supplying Israel with the latest technology, but also ensuring that they didn't sell it to any other regional actors. Um, the sale 
the very possible sale of the F-35 um, TUAE is something which has disturbed some in the defense establishment. So um, Defense Minister Gantz was in Washington to try and see how that can be uh, worked out because it's obvious that the Americans made a commitment to the UAE as part of this package deal uh, to sell them the stealth uh, fighters. Uh, so what does that mean for Israel? And I'm sure something will be worked out. Uh, on, on another level, uh, Sudanese representatives with the UAE, uh, with Americans to try and work out uh, their differences. At the moment, the, uh, Sudan, uh, at least its leadership is on uh, sanctions list uh, in, in the US. And there's been a lot of talk that they'd be brought off because obviously it's an interim government, et cetera. And part of that is also they're trying to push or at least trying to work out a way that they will normalize relations with Israel. Uh, the Sudanese president or the interim leader, I should say, of the council uh, met with Netanyahu in Uganda earlier in the year. So it does seem like it's moving uh, in that direction. Uh, so people, have, uh, people are assuming that uh, certainly Sudan could be that next country that everyone's talking about to normalize uh, relations with Israel. A um, lot more to talk about. I'm happy to answer your questions at this point. Right. Thank you so much. So the first question is, is uh, what's the general consensus of how much of the COVID spike in numbers is due to increased testing versus just an increase? Well, as I said, um, there's certainly been an increase in testing and an increase in numbers. But the, the, the thing to look for is the percentage of uh, positive, uh, what I think they call morbidity, um, and basically that is going up. I mean, we had at one point, uh, there was a one or 2% uh, positivity uh, rating. So it doesn't matter if it's a thousand tests, a hundred tests, a hundred thousand tests, 1% is obviously very low. But the fact that we're now up to 11%, that means one in 10 people who are being tested, more than one in 10, uh, are coming back with a positive uh, result. So it doesn't really matter how many are being tested. Uh, Israel's increased capacity it certainly means more positive. Um, but basically it's just saying what the situation is. You know, we've always known that there's a lot more people who have uh, the virus uh, than we know about. Uh, so obviously in every country where there's gonna be increased testing, uh, there will be an increase in the number of infections. Um, but with all that, as I said, the, the number, the key number that, uh, to look for in every day is not necessarily the number of infections, not necessarily the number of tests, although that is important, it's how much percentage comes back and 11% is, is extremely high and I think one of the highest uh, uh, around the world at this point in time. So speaking of, um, we talked about this last week, but has there been any change in the severity of the positive corona tests? Has there been any, sorry, I don't know the question. Uh, change in the severity? Of the testing? But just the cases of Corona, uh, we talked ah, about- Ah, 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 sorry, as, as, my, as many, um, they haven't gone up as much. Um, the number of serious cases or the number of hospitalized, this is basically uh, the key for any country as we saw in Italy and Spain where the health system gets overwhelmed. No country wants to see that. So Israel has a certain capacity. That's a lot of people complaining that our capacity is far too low, that we've only got five, six, seven hundred uh, hospitalizations and uh, you know the whole the whole country has to shut down as a result um, that's that's basically an underfunded system 
Uh, we haven't really massively increased uh, the number of beds um, and capacity since, uh, since the first wave, and that's a lot of people have, uh, have a problem with that. Uh, some say, I think only 13 beds were, uh, it was increased by 13 beds from the first wave to the second wave, and obviously that's not good enough uh, for the amount that we're seeing, but we're definitely seeing higher numbers of serious cases. We're seeing more people on ventilators and certainly more people dying. I think today there was 31 people who died and that, that's a very big number considering only a month or so ago we were in single figures. Um, so these numbers are certainly going up. Uh, so the seriousness of the cases is going up. Uh, there is a big debate in Israel exactly if and when the system will be overwhelmed. Uh, and there's a big disagreement amongst the hospitals. Earlier in the week, um, the health ministry put out all these figures that says that almost every hospital is over 100% capacity, said that certain hospitals are 130% capacity, and then suddenly these numbers were gone. And they asked the hospitals themselves, and for example, one hospital called Sheba Hospital uh, was said to be 130% capacity, and they actually said actually we're only at 50%. Um, so the health ministry had to scrub the numbers completely. Uh, and they said there's no no data. It went from numbers to no known data. So there's something went wrong uh, there. But it's clear that regardless of what the true numbers are, we certainly don't want to get to a case um, where the numbers are so great that you have to start turning people away and you have to choose who to treat and who not to treat. That's the biggest fear in the system. Uh, what we do certainly see is we see that the, that the capacity is far greater or the numbers uh, are far greater, let's say, in the north, with a lot of uh, with a lot of Arab uh, towns and villages are populated, and also in places like Jerusalem, with a high ultra-orthodox and Arab population. Uh, other areas don't have the same uh, level of intensity in their hospital capacity, but still, we're seeing, regardless of where it is today, it's clear that the numbers are just going up and up, and it it will overwhelm the system eventually if we allow it to. So you mentioned that there are a few except or quite a few exceptions to the lockdown. Um, is there any contact tracing going on there using cell phone locations or you know just tracking the contacts with the positive tests? Yes, I mean the way it works is that as soon as someone uh, has their uh, test come back positive, uh, basically what they do is they track everyone who's, who's in a certain radius for a certain amount of time. Usually they judge it with if you're within two meters of someone for over 15 minutes, and they then receive a message, uh, which means that they have to go into isolation for two weeks if they're feeling symptoms. If they're feeling unwell or have symptoms, then they also go for a test. Uh, but there's been a lot of criticisms, and a lot of people have gone into lockdown where they didn't need to. Um, but basically, the, the, one of the major problems, and something I didn't speak about is, interestingly enough, Naftali Bennett, the leader of Yamina, who, who we spoke about a little bit earlier, uh, he came out with a 20-point plan of what he would do if he was uh, leading the country. That's a sort of positive, uh, I hesitate to call it a stunt, but certainly communications message that people relate to. They don't necessarily just want to hear people bashing the leadership, but come up with their own ideas. And he certainly did that this week and got a lot of positive coverage. And one of the things he did criticize, or he said that he would do, is um, epidemiological testing where we understand the sources of major uh, spreads and deal with it in a far more clever manner than we are just reacting to the situation rather than being proactive. So that's not happening at this moment. That's something Naftali Bennett certainly has called for. 
and a lot of the public are calling for. Um, so the numbers, as I said, are, are still going up. And at the moment, they're pretty much out of control. And the lockdown, the idea of a lockdown uh, is to really get them under control and start moving in the negative direction again. Thank you. You just mentioned the 20-point plan. We actually had a question come in about that. Can you give us your opinion of it, as well as a brief rundown for our viewers who may not know? Uh, I don't think I'll be able to repeat all the 20 uh, points. I would recommend anyone who wants to read it, uh, Natalie Bennett has posted it on his own personal Facebook page, also in English and also in Hebrew. Uh, it's pretty comprehensive. It really does deal with all sorts of issues. His main thing is if we just put a lot more uh, resources into convincing people to wear masks, then we could deal with this in six weeks. His major headline from his 20 points is we could deal with this in six weeks. We completely... I don't think he uses the word get rid of coronavirus, but certainly take the numbers down within six weeks. As I said, it's a very good positive message. 20 points is, to my mind, a little bit too much. As a communication strategist, people can't really relate 20 messages. Uh, it was my suggestion to a number of MKs a while back that you should have four or five very pointed, uh, very consistent and uh, convincing messages, uh, positive messages, uh, that would be able to deal with the coronavirus arguably better than the current leadership. Um, but I can tell you that Naftali Bennett, and we can see this in the polls, the fact that he's taking a positive line rather than bashing the government, he's saying, this is what I would do, uh, is resonating with the public. Um, and the fact that he went into such great detail for those who have the time, the energy to read them, uh, they're, they're quite, I would say, pretty good suggestions, especially from someone like me who's not a medical uh, expert, but they make a lot of sense. And certainly these are 20 things that the government is not currently doing. Wonderful, thank you. So moving on to the UAE, how large is the UAE's military force? And do they have trained air force that can use the F-35s or is it a possibility that the planes will wind up in another country's hands? No, I don't think so. You know, the, the Americans, first of all, uh, interestingly enough, uh, David Friedman, who's the American ambassador to, uh, to Israel, uh, said today that, you know, at the best case scenario, nothing will happen for seven or eight years. You know, these deals take a lot of time. Um, there's a lot of training. They have to, uh, you know, obviously uh, get the, the, the hardware specific for uh, the country itself. You know, it's, it's not, it's not just a, a simple, you know, they have a few sitting around in the warehouse and then they just send them off, you know, in a couple of days, a couple of weeks. These things take a lot of time, you know, when, when Israel orders uh, a, a certain, you know, new technology, it can take a long while. And a, and a big part of that is training. Uh, you have to obviously train uh, the personnel to this new technology and the F-35s is a new age stealth fighter plane. Um, I'm assuming, I'm not an expert on the UAE's uh, military, but I'm assuming that they wouldn't ask for it if they didn't think that they would have the capability to use it. And I don't see them, uh, you know, having it and then allowing another country uh, to have it. The Americans are too astute uh, to just give away the hardware without severe and very strict uh, conditions. So, you know, uh, from, from, from now until the point uh, where a UAE pilot gets into an F-35 that is theirs is many years away. So I think that uh, hopefully answers that question. Thank you. Do you think that the peace agreement with Bahrain will filter down to the population since it's a majority Shia Muslims? 
It's a good question. Um, there is a lot of work by Iran, uh, specifically in Bahrain, because obviously Iran is, uh, is the Shiite uh, nation, the Shiite nation, and Bahrain does have a Shiite uh, majority. There was a lot of complaints during the Arab Spring that Iran was, and it most certainly was, putting a lot of pressure, putting out a lot of propaganda to try and topple uh, the leadership there, um, and that's still ongoing. Um, we have seen positive vibes, let's say, uh, from, from Bahrainis, just as we, we have seen from Emiratis towards this uh, peace agreement, but it's certainly a lot more sensitivities because of the uh, makeup of their population. But just because someone is Shiite doesn't necessarily mean that they are a supporter of Iran or they're open uh, to Iran's advancements. Um, so there's, but there still is going to be a pocket of the public, the population that will buy uh, the Iranian rhetoric. But at the moment, it doesn't seem to be an unpopular uh, decision to normalize uh, relations with Israel from within Bahrain. Thank you. And how influential do you think the interim government of Sudan is in this uh, normalization of relations well, with Israel? <laughs> Well, it's, 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 it's an interesting one because they call it interim and, uh, and, and a few weeks ago, uh, the leader, uh, the head of the interim council, uh, basically said that he, he doesn't have the authority to normalize relations with Israel um, because they're interim and they have to wait until after elections. But at the end of the day, I can tell you, Sudan want more than anything else is to have the sanctions lifted. That is extremely crucial. Uh, for everything, for their economy, for diplomatic relations to be welcomed back into the family of nations. So if the Americans do dangle uh, the possibility of sanctions relief at this point, I think Sudan will pretty much sign on to anything, including normalization with Israel. Uh, so I think that's probably what's happening, even though the Sudanese representatives have now left the region and gone back without an agreement. Um, but again, I think the Israel factor here in Israel and those who are interested in Israel, that for us is a big issue. But at the end of the day, for the Sudanese, the big issue is the sanctions relief. Um, and I think uh, Israel's sort of a passing issue, but something that may get put into the, the wider basket of, of these talks. Thank you. And has there been any movement under the radar with the Palestinians in terms of a negotiation for a two-state solution? Uh, quite simply, no. Uh, the Palestinians, if anything, are moving further away from it. There seems to be agreements between the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, uh, obviously, to fight against these normalization agreements. Uh, interestingly enough, we spoke about it a few weeks ago, but the Arab League is still very much uh, not taking the Palestinian cause uh, as, let's say, as seriously as they've had uh, previously. They used to have a, Palestinians used to have pretty much uh, an, an open door to whatever policies they wanted to push in the Arab League, but that's certainly not the case anymore. The Palestinians are extremely frustrated uh, with this, but there's no signs that this frustration will lead uh, to any sort of openings at this point uh, to indirect, let alone direct negotiations. So I don't see that uh, happening uh, in the near future. As I said, if anything, they seem to be moving away from that. They seem to be moving to a point where they're calling for a third intifada, they're calling for uh, violent rejectionism. Um, so I think uh, the chances of any sort of negotiations, even direct, are, are, are very minor at this point. 
think Stacy has gone. So I'm going to read a question because I also have access to the questions. What made you strongly believe prior to the UAE Bahrain agreements the annexation issue was, if it all happened, a minimal annexation? I think this 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 point is that uh, I said, uh, you know, when the annexation issue was on the table that I didn't believe there was going to be uh, too much of an annexation and it was going to be more of a minimal uh, annexation uh, because quite simply I felt, and this has been proven out, that uh, for Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, it was never a, a major thrust, it was never a, a, a priority for him, it was a, an election promise that he kind of just had to abide by and, and it got a bit of momentum from the meeting with President Trump in the White House but I never believed it was a, 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 he had a really strong intention to do much there. I thought he would do something. But with everything else on the table, with the normalization agreements, it's been uh, shunted aside uh, quite easily. Stacey, I just decided to uh, ask myself a question for one of the questions uh, we'll have. Perfect. <laughs> I'm having some internet difficulties. Yeah. All right. Well, that takes us up to the half hour. <laughs> We've come to the close of our webinar, Ashley. Thank you again for taking the time to update us. Absolutely, thank you. Good luck with the lockdown. And for our viewers, thank you for tuning in and I hope you have a great day.